At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the Grow Your Own Food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Joe Erbach of GardeningAustin.com to talk about his experience with phytonutrient gardening. Joe is the publisher of GardeningAustin.com and the author of Phytonutrient Gardening, the guide to understanding, growing, and eating phytonutrient-rich, antioxidant-dense foods. That is a mouthful. We're going to talk about that. Living in Central Texas for over 30 years, Joe can be found offering gardening talks and advice, as well as teaching classes at local nurseries, libraries, gardening clubs, and extension offices. He is an advocate for a kitchen garden in every home, and for the last several years, he has installed raised bed and container gardens in homes throughout Austin and San Antonio. Joe is currently focusing on phytonutrient gardening, and with the release of his new book, he wants to help as many people as possible learn to live rich, active, healthy, and productive lives by growing their own phytonutrient-rich, antioxidant-dense fruits and vegetables. Welcome to the show today, Joe. Thank you. It is terrific to be here. Absolutely. And those, man, that's a lot of words that we uh, have to (laughs) unpack here. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now? Sure. Well, all of my life, I have always been a gardener. In fact, one of the earliest memories I have is trailing behind my great-grandmother in her garden, helping her to pick up fruits and vegetables, although I'm sure I was making more of a mess than actually helping. (laughs) So no matter where I went all over the world, and and my father was in the military, as as I was, and uh, got to live all over the world, but no matter where I was, I always met gardeners, you know, and I found lots of different ways people were gardening, and got to meet all kinds of wonderful people and learn all kinds of stuff about gardening all over the world, so I guess I've just always been interested in it, and when I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes recently and my grandsons were born, I... Well, I kind of took a look at my life and decided if I wanted to be around long enough to mm-hmm. see them grow up, I was going to have to make some changes. Yeah. And that got me started looking at nutrition, which led me to the phytonutrients, which has led me to a whole new life. <laughs> I'll say. So phytonutrient-rich food, what does that mean? Well, phytonutrients are chemicals. Basically, phyto comes from the Greek meaning chemicals, okay. uh, meaning chemicals, meaning plants, uh-huh. and chemicals from the English, I guess, meaning chemicals. But these are, these are chemicals that plants produce, not for us, but for their own use, mm-hmm. to do things like deter predators from, from eating them, uh, get rid of bugs and insects, or protect themselves from UV radiation. But you see, when we eat those plants, those chemicals come into our bodies, and then we then call them phytonutrients, and they have all kinds of amazing effects on our health and this is all 
new century science, really we've only understood this and are still learning it, but really understood it since uh, the year 2000. Phytochemicals wow. and phytonutrients in general were only discovered in 1996, and no really significant was work, work was done with them until well after 2000. Mm-hmm. So this is a brand new science, and we are learning all kinds of stuff about this. And we're finding out that vitamins, minerals, and you know what we've been used to, proteins and fats, there's a lot more to diet and nutrition than just that. Right. So I, I've got to know something. How did you, first of all, number one, discover this? And secondly, how were you so interested in it? Well, I guess discovering it was, I came across an article from a 1996 copy of Newsweek that first mentioned the word to me, so of, of phytonutrients and phytochemicals, and I started looking up online and couldn't find anything about it. But little by little, I began to hear things here and there, and mm-hmm. I started reading some of the uh, research papers that were posted online for nutritional information. And I, I came across an amazing research study that showed how fruits and vegetables were way less nutritious now than they were just at the end of World War II, like 60 years ago. Mm-hmm. And this wasn't just a run-of-the-mill organization talking about this. It was the U.S. DA making these claims, as uh-huh. well as um, studies from the U.K., and they showed that, that some of the minerals had declined as much as 76% in fruits and vegetables over a time period of just like 50 years from 1940 to 1991. And the, the change has continued. There are some things that are just astounding, like the fact that potatoes have lost 100% of their vitamin A content. You don't wow. get vitamin A in potatoes anymore. And, and this, all of this started making me think, you know, these fruits and vegetables we're getting in our stores, they're just not what they used to be. Right. So how can I get the healthiest vegetables I possibly can? And, of course, for me, the answer was, well, find out what the best are and grow them myself. Mm-hmm. Because I became a big consumer of organic, and I, I don't... Um, I don't disparage the organic produce and people going to the stores and buying them. I mean, I prefer to grow my own and get them from farmer's markets. But one day I was standing in the store at the, at the produce counter picking out some organic vegetables, and I reached in to grab a vegetable. You know how it is, that, that darn water mister always comes on every oh, yeah. time you live yep. for a vegetable. Well, I started thinking, wait a minute, that water source is from city water. It's chlorinated. It's fluoridated. It's God knows what's been done to that. Oh. And it, they're spraying it on organic vegetables and these things are still vegetables are still alive they're absorbing that water they're taking that in and that rather defeats the purpose of buying organic produce that is so that is so true that's a major i I have to tell you that's a major aha for me right in this moment well it was for me too and i started getting really big into wanting to grow my own Uh uh-huh and that's really how it happened. So why did this happen? Why are our foods less nutrient-dense? They're, they're far more deficient in all kinds of um, nutritional value now than they were. And there are a lot of arguments one way or the other, but what it boils down to simply is it's our fault. <laughs> Human beings in general, not you and I, we're, we're fairly innocent of this, but over the last, say, 400 generations, like 10,000 years, uh-huh from the time when when mankind stopped being hunter-gatherers 
and began to live in communities and start to grow gardens and got into farming and agriculture. Right. What we did then is the same thing that many of us gardeners still do today. We tended to grow the fruits and vegetables that we ourselves liked and wanted to eat. I mean, you know, if you don't like tomatoes, there's no sense growing a tomato to eat one, you know? Right. So we started growing the specific vegetables and fruits that we like, and then we started selecting for individual characteristics. For example, the um, original tomatoes were no bigger than the size of your pinky fingernail. Oh, wow. Okay? And little by little, by choosing the plumpest or the juiciest or for whatever particular criteria we were looking for, we have developed now some 614 different varieties <laughs> of tomatoes, right. some as big as, you know, a softball. Uh-huh. Well, that's great, except that through that manipulation, we have inadvertently bred out much of the nutrition that was in the vegetables to begin with because we have a little bit of a distaste for things that are bitter or sour or mm-hmm. astringent. Oh, right. In nature, that tends to indicate poison. And so these farmers didn't want to poison themselves, so they chose the sweeter you know, the tastier produce. And what, what we have now found since the year 2000, we have learned, is that many of the things that are phytonutrients, such as some common things like CoQ10 and quercetin and other uh, lycopene in tomatoes and uh, reversatrol, or however you pronounce that, in wine, uh-huh. all of these things on their own have a very bitter or astringent taste. And so we inadvertently chose to breed and keep seeds from those vegetables that didn't have as much of as strong as that oh interesting and so little by little those vegetables changed and if you think about it you look in books for example a diet book will say you know tomato blank blank calories Mm -hmm. okay for the size well that's a little bit silly because if you think about it tomatoes don't look the same right they sure don't taste the same right so why should we assume that every tomato of a certain size has the same number of calories and nutrition. Calories on general are pretty close, I'll give you that, but Uh the nutritional value of tomatoes differs like you wouldn't believe. I'll bet. And that was the key, learning that I needed to find out what varieties were the richest in antioxidants, what Mm -hmm. varieties were the richest in the phytonutrients, and plant those. Oh, interesting. where the concept of phytonutrient gardening came up. It's not to deprive myself of tomatoes. Right. I love a brandywine tomato. I still love that big tomato slice on that sandwich or hamburger every mm-hmm. so often. Yep. That doesn't have anywhere near the nutrition as a red currant tomato or a Juliet hybrid cherry tomato. Oh, and so I grow a lot more of those now as well. Right. I, again, this is a, an interesting realization for me. I would never have guessed this. And I've been gardening for 41 years now. Well, I speak all over on this subject. It's really become a passion of mine. And every place I go, everyone I talk to says exactly what you're saying. And that's what led me to writing the book, Phytonutrient Gardening, with the rest of that long title, whatever it is that they put on there. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which is, as you said, quite a mouthful. Yes. But, but the point is, as I was reading the research papers mm-hmm. and beginning to understand this information, and I did have a, a little bit of science interest, so I was able to get through it a little bit, but a lot of it flew over my head. Uh-huh. And I realized that this is information that needs to get out to everybody. Yeah. Everybody. But that if it stayed this complicated, it would never get out to anybody. Mm-hmm. And so when I wrote Phytonutrient Gardening, 
I wrote it in a way that it makes things much more easily understood without dumbing down the information. I don't talk down to anybody on this. I still use some of the scientific terms, but I've tried to explain it just like I do when I teach in Master Gardener training classes. I'm a trainer for the Hayes County chapter here in uh, Texas. Cool. As well as when I lecture at uh, different facilities and places on phytonutrient gardening. Mm-hmm. I try to keep it easily understandable so people can benefit and really change and improve their lives. In the last three years, I've lost about 125 pounds, and I'm far more healthy and far more active than I have ever been before in my life, and I am 50 wonderful right now. Wow. So you you mentioned your book. Let's talk about it. It's Phytonutrient Gardening, the guide to understanding, growing, and eating phytonutrient-rich, antioxidant-dense foods. So you told me in the uh, when we were talking before we started recording that the book is out, yes? Yes, it was scheduled to be released on February 16th, but it is now available through Amazon.com as of February 2nd, and I'm told it's going to be in uh, all major bookstores by the beginning of March. Nice. Congratulations. Thank that, you. That is Thank so you. incredible. Now, who published it? Bond Street Publishing. Nice. Well, congratulations. I've, um, Thank you. I have my own self-published books, and I know the process that it takes. Uh, I've, I've, yeah, I've, I've gone that route my, a number of times in the past myself, and it's, uh, it's actually what I prefer, but that been through, being through all of the hoops I've jumped through for this one. But, yeah. You know. <laughs> it gives you a lot more reach, though, when you have a publisher. Well, they do a lot more of the publicity yeah. that I don't have to worry. I just have to keep my calendar open for speaking events and promos (laughs) and so forth (laughs) it's a lot easier so there's two terms that i kind of want to unpack a little bit we started with phytonutrient a little bit but in the title in the title it says phytonutrient rich antioxidant dense food so that's we got phytonutrient and antioxidants can you kind of distinguish what those are for us sure Phytonutrients are the chemicals that come from the plants. When they enter our bodies, we no longer call them chemicals. We call them nutrients. Got it. Okay, so that's just everything. But antioxidants are a specific class of phytonutrients that help protect us from uh, free radicals in our body. Not all um, phytonutrients are antioxidants, Mm -hmm. but all antioxidants are phytonutrients. Got it. Basically what happens is this. No matter what you do, just living and breathing, you breathe in and absorb free radicals. It's just a natural thing. Right. And our body produces these antioxidants to help fight free radicals. Uh. Well, free radicals, can, and they enter the body, and they can damage cells at the cellular level. And these, every time that they damage a cell, they have the potential to cause a problem, whether it be Alzheimer's, cancer, heart disease, diabetes, stroke, whatever it is, it's called caused by these free radicals. Uh-huh. And antioxidants, they stop the free radicals in their tracks. Uh-huh. Because the way the damage is done is the free radicals come in and they steal an electron from another molecule. And that exchange of an electron is where damage can occur. Mm-hmm. So antioxidants are a molecule that has um, extra electrons and can freely give one away and it doesn't do any harm, and the damage stops right there. Oh, nice. All right, cool. So, I'm ready. I've been gardening for 40 years. What do I do next, besides read your book? Well, you start you start thinking about what it is you, you garden, because, as I mentioned, it is the variety 
of the fruit or vegetable you choose to garden that makes all the difference in the world. We'll talk real quick about the tomato again. Uh-huh. One ounce, and I say antioxidant-dense or phytonutrient-rich foods, because one ounce, for example, of the Juliet Hybrid Cherry Tomato, uh-huh. which is, you know, a cherry tomato, cherry tomato size. What is an ounce? Four tomatoes? Okay. Okay. That gives you as many phytonutrients and antioxidants and lycopene as eating 18 ounces of a big beefsteak tomato. Oh. But you don't get all the calories you would get eating 18 ounces of the big beefsteak tomato. Right. Because you're only eating four of those little tomatoes. Oh, interesting. So in your book, do you have lists of plants and how nutrient-dense the... Yes. What, what I've done in the book is I've gone through most, most all of the major uh, garden vegetables, and I've talked about how to shop for them because there's things you can do just when you're shopping to make a huge difference in mm. your phytonutrient intake. Mm-hmm. And I also talk in the very back, I put an appendix in the very back that lists all of my recommended varieties for a lot of different phytonutrient-rich plants. I list the name, for example, I don't know, the tomato, for example, and I'll list several different tomato varieties that have shown to be very high in phytonutrients. I do the same with onions and squash and you name it. Uh huh. Do you cover greens as well? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. In fact, uh, one of the interesting statistics I found about greens is that in a recent survey in around 2004, I think it was, 50% of the Americans who admitted to ever eating salad said that they only ever ate iceberg lettuce. Oh, isn't that crazy? It's nuts. And iceberg lettuce turns out to be one of the least nutritious for us. Yep. Because because iceberg lettuce grows in this tight head, uh-huh. and only the outer leaves kind of get green, because that's what needs protection from UV radi- radiation. Yeah. That's why when you cut it open, it's nearly white on the inside. Yep. But, you know, we buy that iceberg lettuce, we bring it home, and the first thing we do is throw away those nutritious outer leaves. Right. You know? And so we're getting almost none of the nutritious. Now... The best lettuces and the best greens, for example, in your supermarket or in your garden are going to be all of the greens that are actually red, brown, purple, even some that get as dark as, as black in color. Oh, wow. Uh, Cimarron lettuce or Lola Rosa lettuce, they're a leaf lettuce type that's very red. Uh-huh. See, the leaf lettuce, every one of those leaves is exposed to the sunlight, and so it needs lots. That's what that color, that pigment that turns it a different color, it turns right. it dark green or red is the pigment that is the sunscreen basically that the plant is is growing to protect itself but when we eat that that same sunscreen helps us it helps to smooth wrinkles and helps to give us protection from ultraviolet radiation so i think that that percentage i mentioned where 50 percent of the people said that they had only eaten iceberg iceberg lettuce. lettuce yeah yeah i think that's going to be changing over time what with the proliferation of all of these pre-washed, pre-cut, pre-mixed salad mixes that you can oh, yeah. now get in grocery stores. Yeah, exactly. I think for convenience sake, people are buying those and in turn are actually getting better nutrition than they would have gotten just continuing to eat the iceberg lettuce. Oh, interesting. Of course. Of course. So what else is covered in your book? So we've talked about buying at the grocery store. Um, do you talk about growing? Yeah, absolutely. I talk about the different things to grow and what what things grow well, grow the fastest. I also talk, a very important aspect of this is also 
about preparation, how you cook it, mm. how you prepare it. Um, one oh, thing that amazes everybody when I do my talks is let's talk about uh, garlic. Everybody knows garlic is healthy. Right. Okay. Well, if you smash your garlic, chop your garlic, crush your garlic, cut your garlic, slice your garlic, whatever you do to it, and throw it into the hot oil right away, you lose 99% of its health-giving benefits. You need to cut, chop, mash, squash, whatever you do to your garlic. You need to do that and then walk away. Give really? It 10 minutes. You need to give it 10 minutes. After 10 minutes' time, then you can cook it at high heat, and you are going to get lots of health benefits. But by throwing it into the heat right away, you lose that Why is uh, that? health-giving nature. Basically, the chemical in garlic uh-huh. that gives us all the great health benefits right. happens when we smash the garlic, and it's a reaction between two different chemicals. Mm. But heat stops that reaction, so if we don't give it that 10 minutes for that reaction to take place, we don't get the health-giving benefit that garlic has to offer. Now, you can eat it raw, and you will get that health-giving benefit. Right. But what I'm talking about, when you cook the garlic, if you don't let it rest for that 10 minutes, you destroy its opportunity for those two chemicals to react with each other and create these substances that we need to consume. How That is just so curious to me. So you got another tip like that? What else is in your book? That's, that's, like, that's, that's almost jaw-dropping for me. Yeah, I know. There, there's lots of that. And in fact, I do on my blog, I do a phytonutrient Friday where I try to present something like that every, every week, you know, as a, just a little, a little teaser for people uh-huh. about what is, what is actually out there. But um, another great thing, another wonderful thing is, well, who doesn't like hot cocoa? as an example, you right. know, yeah. not, not, the, not the sugary mixes that you buy in the store, but cocoa you actually make from cocoa powder. Uh-huh. Well, this has been shown drinkable, drinkable dark chocolate, okay, or even eating like a Hershey's Kiss dark chocolate has been shown to help people with dementia and early onset Alzheimer's disease to um, start to reverse and, and even slow down and even reverse some of the effects of those diseases because it has the effect of helping to clear plaque from the areas in our oh. brain that, that get covered with this plaque. So for, I don't understand the, the real science behind it, but apparently when we sleep, short-term memory gets kind of uploaded to the long-term memory. Right. And what this chocolate does, and as much as two cups of hot cocoa a day or, or an ounce of uh, chocolate candy, uh-huh. uh, specifically consumed at, at nighttime, somehow helps our bodies to process the short-term memories into long-term memory, giving us better memory transfer, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're able to retain that information better and for longer when we have been consuming chocolate. Interesting. Score. That is a major score here. That it, means I get to off. eat chocolate every night. I, I, I eat an ounce of dark chocolate every night. Nice. Nice. Every evening, yes. You're speaking at Marjorie Wildcraft's Homegrown Food Summit. Can you give us a taste of what you're going to be speaking about there? The pun intended. Sure, absolutely. What I'm doing is I'm doing a, a segment on phytonutrient gardening using raised beds. Ah. And the reason I, I specify the raised beds is because for me, where I live in Texas, you either have really heavy, thick clay gumbo soil that you can't do anything with, mm-hmm. or you d- can dig down about an inch and a half, and then there's a limestone sheet. Oh, there's yeah. so much limestone covering 
Texas that we could use 100 years of acid rain and we still wouldn't have good soil. Ah. So the best way I found was to start building up. So I started using raised beds and that turned into a business all of its own just by doing these things for friends, family, and neighbors, making raised beds and nice. other people wanted them and so forth. And and it's really good because you can start with really good quality soil and compost right. and basically start that foundation. The soil is the foundation for everything that's going to grow. Yeah. If you want phytonutrient-rich vegetables, you have to start with mineral-rich, good soil. And that's what you can do in raised beds. I was going to ask you about that because I, I know that it, the, the healthier the soil, the healthier the plants. And Absolutely. A, a big part of what's missing out of a lot of our gardening soils is micronutrients. Now, right. micronutrients is different than phytonutrients. Yes. Yes, micronutrients are important. And the very best way to get micronutrients into your soil is to compost. Oh, Yes. In fact, I start all of my own seeds in 100% compost. Oh. Always. I have for years. Warm compost, compost piles where you're, you know, you're, you're just layering on your uh-huh. yard waste and kitchen scraps. Any kind of compost you can get your hands on is where you're going to get those micronutrients. And that um, microbial action that happens in the soil, which mm-hmm. is part of how nature is designed to work. I mean, nobody goes out and tills the forest, yet things grow like crazy, right? Like, yeah, exactly. Um, and so I stop tilling all of my soils, and uh-huh. I, just, I just add compost. I just mix in a little bit of compost, yep. and, and, and I, don't, I don't till. I use some cover crops because my great-grandmother years ago told me, God doesn't like to see bare earth, and if you don't grow something there, he will. <laughs> And so that is brilliant. I, I, I love I always, that. I always grow with a cover crop and, uh, you know, I don't even turn that anymore. I just kind of push it aside and mm-hmm. add a little compost on top and start planting. Fantastic. What kind of cover crops? I've used, I use clover. I use a lot of different legumes so I could, you know, fix more nitrogen mm-hmm. in the soil. Um, I've used rye grasses. I've used just the, uh, when I've, been a little too slow to get out there just sort of the, the grass that just starts growing nice you know from any anything it helps to bring it helps to hold water and moisture into that soil and so even if i'm not using it for growing something in that particular bed at the moment i still wanted to have good soil retention and yep. good soil drainage and yeah. good healthy you know um, activity going on in that soil and you got to have roots in the ground to do that fantastic so I'm going to shift on you here a little bit, and I'd like you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you learned from it. Wow, okay. For a number of years here in um, central Texas, I had a uh, store, a business, where we sold used furniture and uh-huh. antiques and other things. And because I was at the store so often, I also gardened a little bit on the side of the, uh, the, the store there. But, oh, nice. But, yeah, the business, the business, when the economy kind of went in the toilet, the business did too. And how I dealt with that was concentrated on the fact that I had lots of people interested in what I was growing. Right. And that led me to helping a couple of people who are my former customers put in some raised bed gardens in their homes. And that led to other people wanting them. And that led to a whole other venture, <laughs> which has now led to everything I'm doing now. <laughs> 
I love it when that happens. You know, and some sometimes when I ask people this, uh, talking about a failure, sometimes I get, well, there's no such thing as failure because that's where we learn from, and that's really the reason I ask this question is because that is exactly correct. And the other thing is, I discovered that selling all of that furniture wasn't my real passion. Yeah, gardening and nutrition was my passion. Yeah, I used to run a software company. I ran it for two decades. And I got to a place with my software company. It's like, this ain't it, man. I want to be out in the garden. Absolutely. I know what you mean. Yeah. So That's why I had to put a garden on the side of my store. <laughs> exactly. So what do you consider your biggest success? Well, I've got a wonderful family. My wife and I have been together for over over 30 years now. Yeah, congratulations. And and oh, thank you, thank you. It's, it's all because of her. But uh, <laughs> smart you know, man, we have, smart we have, man. We have raised five children together. We have grandchildren, and life is good. Yeah, very good. So, what drives you? What's your big why in all of this? So, what it really was, like I said earlier, was the the birth of my grandson really mm-hmm. made me stop and think. I need to be around to see this boy grow up. Yeah to see these boys grow up. And once I started studying the nutrition and studying phytonutrition in particular, and I realized that people just don't know how lacking our food really is anymore. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that the fruits and vegetables in our grocery store are not worth consuming. I eat them. Right. We all have to eat them. We need to eat more of them. They're just not as good as, as my granddad used to say, they're not as good as they used to was. <laughs> right. So, you know, that, letting people know, opening people's eyes and, and the opportunity to talk to people and have, I can see it when I'm talking to them. I can, I can just see lights go on and they're, like you said, an aha moment. Mm-hmm. And every time I see that, it just gives me chills. Yeah. I love it. And that's what keeps me going now. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. So what projects are you currently working on? Well, I am working on um, another website in association with this, the you know, the studying of the nutrition led to the writing of the book, which led to, led to the, the writing of the weekly blog, which in turn now has led to a new project, phytonutrientfarms.com, where I am, I've joined with uh, five other growers across the country, mm-hmm. and we are offering seeds for those very varieties that are phytonutrient-rich and oh, antioxidant-rich n- nice. We have... We have all we have I, I think we have 70 items for list up there right now we're working on getting more but we have made sure that they are all non-gmo uh-huh. they are all organically grown these things are these seeds are all hand harvested we do not use machinery they're all hand harvested and when we mail order them out to people we air, mail them in envelopes that are open so that there's an adequate air exchange uh-huh. because one of the worst things you can do for your seeds is to seal them up in paper or plastic where they don't get air circulation, which is how they have to package them right. to sell them, you know, in mass from mm-hmm. these major huge companies. We're not a huge company. We don't, we don't think we ever will be, but we do ensure that we have the highest quality seeds we can possibly have. And this has been our, my latest venture. This is just released in the last week. Wow. And it'll probably take a lot of my time over the next couple <laughs> of weeks to really get kick this off and get it going nice so what i just heard you say is that i can come to you and get phytonutrient dense seeds 
Absolutely. Wow. At phytonutrientfarms.com. I'm on the website right now. How cool is this? And where's your blog? Where can we find your blog at? It's at the Gardening Austin. Um, dot com website. Perfect. Perfect. So I'm all about education, and I have to know what one book has been most influential for you in this whole process. Well, I have read so many different gardening books, but I hesitated becoming part of the Master Gardener program here in Hayes County, Texas, and taking the Master Gardening program. But that training book that they gave us with that class is just a wealth of information and opened my eyes to so many different things and I am now so glad <laughs> that I had uh, participated in that program that I am actually currently now the president-elect for our organization. Oh, congratulations. So, there How, you go. <laughs> yeah, congratulations on that. So, what one, what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Well, it always sounds bad. I'm not saying trust no one. There's not a big major you know, X-Files style conspiracy <laughs> out there or an evil Illuminati trying to destroy our, our food. Right. But just be aware that you have no control over what you put into your body mm-hmm. unless you grow it yourself. If you grow it yourself, you know the soil it was grown in, whether or not it had pesticides, whether it was grown organically, um, what seeds you're, you know, your plant was grown from you know and i'm not saying that everything else out there is bad but you know everybody's in the business of making money Mm -hmm. and corporations large corporations will lie to us and have been caught doing so just look at things like mci worldcom and enron yep you know so the only way you really know for sure what you're putting in your body is to eat it from the, the produce that you've grown yeah or the or the the animals that you've raised and by by getting back to that we are all going to see ourselves take a huge leap forward in our health nice well thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today joe i so appreciate it and we're looking forward to hearing you at the homegrown food summit coming up here in just a few days so how can our listeners get a hold of you well they can always go to the gardeningaustin.com website there's contact information in there and they're always welcome to uh, write with a question I've always got time to answer some questions for folks so fantastic leave a comment or a question I'll be glad to get back to you and then phytonutrientfarms.com yeah there are links on the web both websites back and forth to each other because uh, even I mess up spelling phytonutrient <laughs> P- sometimes P-H-Y-T-O-N-U-T-R-I-E-N-T, phytonutrient. That is correct. And that was me reading it off of your website. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, it's been a real pleasure to be here. I'm glad to speak with you anytime at all. Great. And thanks for being on the show. And that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. 
But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.